consistent self-improvement everybody you're now listening to american gypsy podcast i am your host classic and i'm here with my co-host gypsy and today we have luke homan he is a serial entrepreneur with two successful exits and one of the world's leading expert on applying precipitatory precipitatory budgeting <laughs> at scale. Wow. It's mouthful. It's a total mouthful. I know. Uh, we just say PB, gypsy. Just you can just say PB. We're good. PB. Okay. <laughs> my my kids say it's the peanut butter process. <laughs> well it's good it's nice having you with us today uh thank you so much for having me here yeah so i'd like to start off you know with by asking you know tell us a little bit about like for our listeners like even for myself where are you from and how did you get into what you do today yeah that's a that's a fun question for everyone uh i grew up outside of buffalo new york in a little town north Tonawanda. And I moved to Michigan, spent, um, when I was 20, I moved to Michigan, uh, the Detroit area for about 10 years, loved it, really loved it there. Uh, then I lived in the Dallas area for about three and a half years. And then I moved to the Bay area in 1996. Uh, and then it's, it's been a lot of fun in the Bay area. That's where I met my wife and, and we got married, uh, and, uh, we have four kids. Um, two in college now, two in high school, uh, which is always interesting. <laughs> um, and uh, so that that's kind of a bit of, I'm the youngest of six kids. Um, uh, we grew up uh, very modestly. Uh, um, unfortunately, my dad died when I was four and my mom raised six kids on her own. Mm. Wow. And so you know, we were the family that you gave the turkey to at Thanksgiving, and we were thankful for it. And uh, I think that what you learn in that kind of an environment is how a community needs to be there to help a family, how hard work, you, you, know, we, you know, there was no maid. So there was a chore chart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely familiar with that. I'm the youngest of five. Yeah. All right. See, you know, yeah. you know. And, which is why you're the podcast star, I'm sure, of the five, because you're fighting for recognition. You want someone to notice you. <laughs> well, a little bit, but not, I wouldn't say all of the, the recognition. I'm a musician as well. So I've, I've been through the recognition part. Now it's more okay, of good. just to kind of meet some great people and have some genuine conversations. <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. I totally get it. But that's, that's the, that's the story of, of, you know, that's, that's a little bit of the origin story. Maybe more comes out. Um, uh, how I got into my business and, and how we do participatory budgeting or PB, uh, that, that came from a more professional standpoint. I was looking at how companies make budgeting decisions, big companies, not little ones, but like the really big companies. And they they have this process where they have the annual budgeting cycle where they have all these you know, portfolios with all this money. And what we kept on finding was that they're supposed to collaborate and work together during the year, but in the annual budgeting cycle, they just fight over the budget mm. and no one liked the process. So I tried to develop a set of processes that make the budgeting approach more cooperative and more collaborative. And I know those are buzzwords and I can explain that a little bit. And we found that people really liked it. Um, so I'll give you a really concrete example. And these numbers are enormous for me. Uh, like, you know, this, this is not like my family budget or my company's budget, but my, my, the companies that we're working with were huge companies like BMW or Cisco or Salesforce or, you know, Mercedes Benz, and, and you can imagine like you're building a car. Those are tens of millions of dollars of budgets when you're making these decisions. So let's say that you're in a team at these big companies and your budget for the powertrain or the seats in the car is like $80 million. I'm just making up a number. And let's say though that the ideas that the company has is maybe a hundred million dollars, right? Because we always have these many ideas and we we always have 
this much budget, right? Human right. imagination yeah. is unbounded. Right. And yeah. we always have this vision of the future that's bigger and better and, and wonderful. So what we do is we say, let's take eight people in a room and let's give them each an equal portion of the budget. So now everyone's equal. And, and that comes up in a bit, like the, this notion of equality here. Um, because, you know, the government likes to say that we're equal in terms of a vote, but we all know that money is a little different than votes. And, you right. know, somehow people with money seem to have more influence than people with votes. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> but we can, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Uh, surprisingly, we'll get, we're going to get into politics in, in this. But now you've got eight people, each with $10 million. Mm -hmm. And so in that space, they're equal. And then we give them the, the $100 million of ideas and we say, look, here's the rules. Fund what you can. And if someone runs out of money, you got to convince other people to join you. So classic, let's say that, that there's this really important project that you want to do and it's $20 million. Well, you've got to convince at least one other person to join you and probably two or three. And so you convert this negative approach of fighting over money into a positive approach of finding what's the best things to fund. And, and I like to tell people, most of us approach a budgeting process in our personal or professional life from a scarcity mindset. Like I don't have enough. And because I grew up a kind of poor, I tend to approach it from a, an abundance mindset. We, we have an abundance of ideas. Which ones do we want to actually pursue? So rolling the clock forward, that, that company was doing very well and, and helping companies. And I met the head of economic development of the city of San Jose on a plane ride. And she was telling me that the city was in debt and they didn't know how to do citizen engagement and surveys weren't working. And I said, look, I do this stuff for businesses and I'll do it for the city and I'll do it for free. And she's like, why would you do it for free? And I said, because I think we, we all have a need to contribute to our democracy. And I, this is something I know how to do, right? I know, I know how to do this. So we started doing it with citizens and we would assemble citizens to provide feedback on the budget in the city. And it was an amazing process and, and everyone loved it. And you can imagine why, right? Because we often think our vote doesn't matter because we know that people that have more money tend to have more influence. But again, in this program, we're equal. And then out of the blue, we're at dinner one night and I say, hey, let's try it with a school because my kids were in middle school. And I said, let's try it with a school. And my wife's like, oh my gosh, what do you mean? I'm like, let's give the kids real money, but run them through this process. And we did it, and it was an amazing result. The kids loved it. They had real money. They had an equal vote. They did great stuff. And uh, rolling the clock forward just a little bit, I sold the company that was doing work with businesses, the exit, and I started a new company, First Root, to bring these techniques to all schools everywhere. I mean, as much as I can around the world. To, and we go into schools, we, we help fundraise, we give the kids money, and we support them as they decide how to spend it. So, go ahead. You well, I was going to ask, how does the application process, like how do you, how do they vote and how does the whole process work? Uh, is it an app yeah, or that's, is that's it? A, that's a good question, right? I mean, it's not like we're driving by tossing out stacks and saying, <laughs> good luck, kids. <laughs> like, Cause that doesn't teach anything, right? right? It, you want to teach, you want to use this as an opportunity to really teach something. So we have a structured process and we guide the kids through five phases of making a good decision. And the first phase it's discovery. We ask the kids to go talk with the other kids, go talk with teachers, and identify opportunities or problems. Um, maybe the school is facing some challenges from COVID, like they've lost their sense of, of togetherness. Or maybe the school is facing some issues with equipment, and they just don't have certain equipment that they want for their science or their chemistry, or there's needs in the athletics. Who knows? 
you know, the, the, the adults think they know, but the kids really do know. So after discovery, they create some themes. Then they do a dream phase. And this is where we kind of say, look, don't worry about the money too much. Just dream. Tell us what your dreams are. Now, of course, we, we try to put some reasonable parameters. Like if, if your school is in the middle of a city and your dream is to have a football stadium, it might be physically impossible, right, to put a football stadium into a – but we, we, we try to encourage open-ended dreaming. Then the next phase is a design phase, and we use design thinking to – take those dreams and start to really hone them down. So let's say the kids say our, our school spirit is low and we want to do a mural. We want to paint a mural on the school. Okay, great. Well, who needs to approve the mural? Who's going to design the mural? What kind of paint do you need? How much does that paint cost? Who, who, who will help you paint the mural if, if you're younger kids, like in, in an elementary or primary school? Then. All of those proposals that are ready to go are reviewed by the school to make sure they meet the school policies. And I'll give you an example of that. We worked with one group of kids. They wanted to change the lunchtime from 12.15 to 12 o'clock. And you're like, you can't, you can't change the schedule of the school in the middle of the school year. Like, There's too many other things that are locked in on that. Um, but the things that meet the school guidelines, the kids vote. Now, they vote through a simple majority vote on our application, our software application. So it, it works on Android or iPhone or Mac or PC or whatever. We don't care what you're using, tablet. But the kids are presented with the list of, item, of, the list of things, and they can select as many items as they want, provided the items fit the budget. So the budget is the constraint. And I'll, I'll come back to the money in a minute. The votes are ratified, and we go through a formal ratification process. As we know, we had a very unfortunate experience in our democracy last year where we had a, a fight over the peaceful transition of power in the Capitol, and that's very upsetting to me. So we actually put in a ratification process so the teachers can talk to the kids about how a democracy is supposed to work. After the ratification of the votes, the projects the kids choose are implemented. If they, and, and I'll give you real examples from real projects. If they voted to plant a tree, we get a tree and we plant it. If they voted to buy more outdoor seating, we buy the seating and we, we put it in. If the kids voted to um, get a 3D printer, we get a 3D printer. If they voted for chemistry equipment, we get chemistry equipment. If they vote for soccer nets and soccer balls, that's what we get whatever the kids choose and so they get to see that in a democracy that of course you don't get everything you want but by by, by participating in that democracy with real money you can make real change happen what are the most common things that um the kids ask for in these um yeah there is a little bit of guidance on our part, you know, because they got to fit a budget. And the budget, by the way, we're not talking like, like, like as adults, right? The three of us are thinking, oh, a school, like the school might need a new chemistry wing and that's going to be $4 million or whatever it is. Like we're aware as adults of more substantial needs and more substantial expenses, but you got to break this down for kids. And so the amount of money that we're usually giving the kids is between $2,000 and $10,000. And that can come from the principal or the PTA or other places. Like we can usually find a source for that kind of money. Right. Um, and the kind of things that kids get are, are the kinds of things I said. There's a lot of sports equipment. Um, the kids kind of know what the cool sports are, what they like playing, and that's the stuff that gets worn out more so they know what they want. Um, we get a lot of uh, library and books that the kids want to get. They want to keep the books fresh. They want to uh, update them. With one school, they felt that the library didn't represent the composition of the school. There weren't enough books in Spanish for the kids who have Spanish as their primary language. So they bought more Spanish books. Um, 
and uh, that that was really it, it warms your heart when you see the kids do these kinds of things because they care about each other and they care about that educational experience a lot more than adults realize right the ki the kids it's like come on man don't don't sell the kids short like listen to them they're making good choices if you let them one school uh they in, in california you have a requirement that you have to take driver's education but you have to pay for it and where i grew up in new york city or not in new york city but in new york state you had to take driver's education but the school system paid for it so right. now you can imagine the inequity right if you're a if you're a poor family how you might not even be able to pay for the driver's education that is required to get to your job right so you're in this awful cycle so the kids in that school uh spent a bunch of their money on funding driver's education for the kids who couldn't pay for it it's really it's really amazing what the kids do you you spoke earlier of working with uh san jose I know san jose california yep oh yeah we're in la i'm not oh right can't. on is it where's san jose is that up north close to the bay yeah that, okay yeah that's by san what's, what's the yeah. population up there it's a million people a million people okay yeah, so it's a, it's america's 10th largest city it's not as big as la but it's not that it's not too small okay that's good yeah i mean it's 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 hefty but it's not as big as i mean it's la la is right <laughs> yeah you know it's big um um and i think la has started a participatory budgeting program uh for citizens it's not yet been integrated into schools but i think there's some experimentation going on in in la how when you mentioned um with this working with a, a company as far as with the, yes. you know the company gets to pick or or them having to kind of choose where to partner up and spend a certain amount of money does it usually um i guess end in pretty good results when that um takes place or does is it more of a is it kind of a sacrifice thing when you're dealing more of a company if a certain budget goes in a certain well, area I think there is a bit of a sacrifice right but i mean welcome to life i mean let's say you want to do a home remodel your your ideas are going to always be more than what you can afford yeah. right so so there's always a bit of a sacrifice involved i think part of your question i'm going to interpret it as do you get a better result through this process and i don't know if you get a better result because people make mistakes with money no one's perfect i do know what you do get is a result that people are happier with and that they believe in more so we are using this to also teach our kids about financial literacy and making good money choices but when you really think about it no one makes money decisions completely on their own i my wife and i have been married for a long time and you know it, do you think she would care much if i went out and bought a new t-shirt and came home and said hey look at this t-shirt i got right she like yeah whatever because it's a small purchase how do you think she'd feel if i came driving home in a new lexus with the bow on it and i didn't <laughs> even ask her <laughs> that's a different conversation <laughs> it's a lack of communication somewhere <laughs> yeah and that lack of communication would continue while i'm on the couch <laughs> yeah. right because you don't make decisions alone and and that's one of our problems as a society we say oh it's personal finance or you know you can do your own thing but you you even if you can you shouldn't because we live in relationship with other people and we are trying to show our kids that healthy relationships have the ability to talk about money in a way that that yeah you don't always get what you want and you don't always make the perfect choice but you can have conversations about it if if you allow yourself to if if you talk about it i mean you really do have to talk about this stuff because I actually was, I don't know why I randomly thought about it. I think we were going through a restaurant or looking, I think I was looking at something and 
I had to think about the in particular budget that how they would set it up. But of course, you know, they just probably spend it and then write it in a certain area and call that the overall budget. But just wondering, you know, the um, well, say even just for like the tables, like if you needed extra tables or some tablecloth and it's more, you know, to go out and purchase that and come back. It just it, it crossed my mind how, you know, how that budget works with separating so many different Yeah, I mean, I'm no expert things. on restaurants yeah. or but but I can't imagine that a restaurant owner would make a decision on what the restaurant needs without being aware of what the what the cooks need and what the servers need and you know how okay my cook tells me i need a new fryer and my servers tell me that we had four broken plates and the plate supply is getting low i got i got trade-offs and i'm yeah. listening to people and i'm making that decision so even if it's my decision to make, I'm, I'm talking to other people and I'm getting that input and I'm having that conversation about what, what do we need for our restaurant? I feel like this is how cities and states need to be working in general, right? Having like people involved in how the state or the city's money gets dispersed to, you know. I hope so. I mean, that's part of my commitment uh, that, that, by, and I have worked with cities beyond San Jose, and I haven't worked with state government yet, and I'm not sure the federal government wants to have these conversations. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm like other Americans, right? I'm not convinced right now that our federal government kind of cares about us anymore. And I hate saying that, but I feel that way. Yeah. Uh, I, I do feel that my local city government and, and where I live in Sunnyvale, I feel that they are still listening to us, right? And, and they're trying to, to do the best they can. Uh, and I feel, I live in California like y'all, and uh, I think that, that while California is certainly not perfect, I think they try, right? And, and I think they're trying to listen to us, but as you kind of get further in, up the chain, if you will, boy, it's harder to see if, <laughs> if they care about normal people <laughs> yeah because we're still witnessing a lot of ridiculousness we've traveled across country from over the past you know six months and we've just a lot of things kick in when you get to california and la that that's just not kicked in in other places and it's just you know you wonder kind of what's going on but I come, right. I was I'm I was raised in Jackson, Mississippi. I'm originally from Oxford, Mississippi. I was born in Oxford, raised in Jackson. And Jackson is one of the few cities I've been to or at least, you know, that I've witnessed decline. So I'm curious mm. to see how something like a program like this would maybe work. But one of the biggest problems with Jackson, Mississippi is the streets. The um, um, infrastructure, water pipes, and mess up the streets and things like that. So, that's well, let's dig into that. I think that's a really important question that speaks to when you give people choice. What do they do with the power that you've distributed to the people? And we we've created a society where we've started to lose faith in each other for whatever reason. And you know, when you think about it, classic. I'm I'm driving on the road with you, man. I'm I'm sharing that road with you. And if I think that road needs to be fixed, and Gypsy thinks that road needs to be fixed, and you think that road needs to be fixed, we have to remember that we are all together in this, right? If I lived in LA, if I lived in your neighborhood, I'd feel the same way about what was going on. And what we've lost are the forums and the conversations that allow us to see that we care together. And part of that, to be candid, is Facebook and social media. They make money when we are more divided than when we are more united because they can sell more ads to people like that. And so there's a real economic incentive for creating division. What, what, what we find in our process and, and, and very specifically in San Jose, when we did this with citizens in San Jose, the very first year we did it was 2011. So we've been doing it for a while. And I got a call from the mayor, Mayor Reed of San Jose. And I gave, because I had given him my, our results from the program. 
And he calls me up and he says, Luke, uh, are these results accurate and real? And I'm like, yeah. I said, why? He goes, well, they're they're radical. I'm like, what do you mean they're radical? He said, the citizens through this program voted for pavement maintenance over more libraries. What does that and mean said, exactly? Oh. Well, so so in, in in our program, there were funding choices, right? There's these things that you can fund. And one of the funding choices was repave a couple of the major roads in okay, San Jose. Okay, pavement, okay. Pavement. And one of the funding choices was open a, a set of libraries and, and extend library hours. And they were both about $11 million, right? The, both of those choices were about $11 million. But the, but the residents that were participating overwhelmingly chose the pavement maintenance. And I and I said to the mayor, well, that's what the citizens are saying. Why don't you do it? He goes, oh, no, the city council and I want to work on the streets. But the problem is, is that if we go to the paper and we say we're going to prioritize pavement maintenance over libraries, the friends of the library come out in force and there's no friends of pavement. And I and meaning we, wow. we have small minorities and, and I don't want to sound like I'm anti-library. Of course, I, I, who doesn't love libraries and who doesn't love books? Right. But, but your, your car can, you, you know, it's a different type of beating. <laughs> if you can't get to the library <laughs> properly, I mean, it's, it's yeah, a different right. experience. Yeah. You'd have to experience what we mean as far as even the, the speed limit is different because you're, you're moving from pothole and you're, you're and, kind and of, you're, it's a different. And, and even yeah. the, the, the the fire department can't get to your house if you need them the ambulance can't get there if the, if the pavement's bad but but i think what i'm really trying to say classic is your concern is valid right what will happen when we give people the 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 power because we expect our elected officials to help us maintain paint main you know maintain the streets well, they're they're not in a way, and so what you find is that when you give people the power, they actually do choose things like infrastructure. Um, and there's data to support this. This technique uh, started in Latin America in 1989 in a small city in Brazil, Porto Alegre, Brazil, and they did it to fight corruption. The citizens in in that part of the world were. I mean, we have our own forms of corruption in America, but in certain parts of Latin America, it's pretty bad. Yeah. And they were paying taxes, and they never saw anything get better. So they finally said, "We're taking the money that we've been paying for taxes, and we're going to control it." And over the course of several years, they could actually see for the first time ever their money being used like it was supposed to be used: clean water, better roads, better infrastructure. So, classic. I think the thing that I always want to reassure people is you know it, it, a community knows its needs you don't need some outside person to tell a community what they need like that's that's not cool i don't i don't go to a school in in new york city and tell them what they need i go to a school in new york city and i create an environment where those kids have a voice for the first time ever and they get what they need, and and uh, similarly with citizens in 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 um, cities, you give them a voice, they'll tell you what they need. You mentioned earlier um, about tech tech companies and some of these. You're in Sunnyvale, which is basically in Silicon Valley, and uh, oh, it's right in the middle, <laughs> and and. You work a lot with tech companies. You are a CEO of a tech company. So sometimes I feel like some of these companies, they start out one way, but then they get pretty big and there's a disconnect somewhere where you mentioned Facebook to where, you know, it might have started out one way, but now it just feels like it kind of... Um, Went another way. Went yeah, the it's, there's a disconnect, yeah. I guess from i guess what their initial mission is to what they do now where how how does that happen like because i see it it's happen a a, yeah i see it happen with a lot of different companies and i wonder like what happened it's 
business coming or like what was going on there? Even to the almost, I would say, corruption with the algorithm. That's you right. Know, I agree with you that things. the algorithm, I mean, a human wrote that algorithm. It didn't write itself, right? And yeah. so the algorithm isn't the thing. It's the person who wrote that algorithm. I'm with you, man. I worry about that, Gypsy. I think about that a lot. Um, I'll give you a couple of thoughts. I, I don't. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to claim I'm the perfect expert or I'm right on anything, Just but I'll give you a couple opinion. of thoughts. Our yeah. opinion, yeah. I think one of it is what is the purpose of the company itself, and I'll give you a a a couple of companies that I think are really big and successful, but have maintained. Uh, a really good sense of ethics. There's a company that makes clothing called Patagonia. And Patagonia is a benefit company. And they actually tell people, don't buy a new coat every year. Like buy one of our coats. They're a little bit more expensive, but they're designed to last like 10 years. As opposed to like the fast fashion company that's trying to do, you know, labor practices that are uh, unfair and uh and they're trying to uh keep the wages low patagonia plays fair wages and you know you can see what they're trying to do as a company and i think that part of that is is kind of what is the purpose of the company itself and how has it been structured and when the sole purpose of the company is to make money and then you look at the way that they make money so how do I make money? Well, if if I'm Facebook, my sole purpose is to make money. And the way that I make money is by showing ads. So now I'm already incented to do things that effectively get you addicted and get you emotional. Because addicted emotional people watch more ads. If you're Patagonia, Right. And they're a big company. I don't know if you know how big they are. They're over a billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, I've that's a lot had of money. A Patagonia sweater before. <laughs> so they are pretty sturdy. They're they're pretty sturdy. They're they, and they're more expensive, right? I mean, you're yeah. paying a little bit more, but they're designed to last. Um, but they've made a lot of money and done a lot of good uh, without having a, a, a different structure. And so I'm working really hard at my own company to create a tech company that uplifts our children and that creates an experience for them. So for example, there's no ads in our platform. There's there there's no ads and there won't be ads. Because if I start showing ads, I'm going to start down that path, if you will, uh, that leads to a not good outcome. Um, we work really hard on making sure our software is accessible to kids everywhere. So not all kids have the same quality of devices. Not all kids, you know, have brand spanking new computers. So we work really hard on making sure we work on low power devices or small screens and things like that. Uh, and so, I, and I, I also think that, that you have to hire for people who, uh, I think you have an advantage when you started off modestly like I did because your sole driver is not making money. Like, and I don't want to sound like I'm some altruistic thing and I don't care about money. Of course I care about money, right? I mean, who doesn't, right? right. right. But there comes a point where you, you realize like, wow, I have, I have a wife, I have, I have a house and I can manage to afford my mortgage. And I got four kids and, you know, like I'm doing okay, right? I'm, I'm this notion of contentment is I think lacking in a lot of people in America. And it's about, because too many people compare themselves to other people. And man, if you want to start comparing yourself to other people, you will always lose because there's always going to be someone faster, smarter, cooler, richer than you are guaranteed. Yeah. And so you got to get, you got to learn how to be, that piece with yourself. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. So how do you see cryptocurrency um, playing into the project that you have going? Boy, that's a really insightful question because we are grappling with that uh, 
as 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 our company right right now we are grappling with that so um i'm going to answer it in two ways okay? okay and i want you to think about a game so any game physical sport whatever give me a game no matter um soccer soccer we we've been talking about soccer soccer is great right yeah. so when i play the game of soccer when I'm in the game, I'm playing according to a certain set of rules, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't touch the ball with your hands unless you're the goalie and blah, blah, blah. And you're not supposed to trip people, although you're when you do get tripped, you're supposed to act really dramatic <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> about it. <laughs> right? Now, let's say we stop the game and we're with friends. And for whatever reason, uh, a couple of people got to go, but we want to keep playing. And now the field is too big because we don't have enough people. So we choose to change the rules of the game. We say, okay, look, we are supposed to have 11 people on the side, but we don't have enough people to play and the field's too big. Why don't we do a half field and we'll do five on five and then we can keep playing, right? And kids do this all the time, right? Kids are always, kids are always going between being in the game according to what they've chosen as the rules and then changing the rules of the game to be something different yeah. are you with me yeah i'm with you so now we're going to take that same structure and we're going to apply it to cryptocurrency cryptocurrency changed the rules of the game it bitcoin ethereum solano i mean we go through the whole thing but fundamentally bitcoin and the blockchain changed the rules of the game now you got a group of people over here who's saying do i want to play that game I think Bitcoin's bad. I think it consumes too much energy. I don't want to play that game. Okay. Other people are like, hey, Bitcoin's cool. I'm I don't I don't want to, you know, have the government track me. I want to play the Bitcoin game. So the first step is saying the game exists. That game is not getting turned off. Yeah. And because that game exists, you've got to choose if you want to play it or not. And what we have decided as a company is that we are going to teach cryptocurrencies and bitcoin in our classes and in our curriculum because we want our kids to be equipped with the knowledge to decide do they want to play that game because the game is now at this point it's not going to go away you can't turn off bitcoin you just can't go flip the switch right it ain't happening and it's and 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 I hope I don't uh, warning to people who are listening. I'm going to get a little uh, direct on some of my feedback here, but this is to me like teaching sex in schools, right? <laughs> yeah. I, nice right? importance. <laughs> right. I mean, super value. Yeah. It's a it's a human experience, basically. It is, and yeah. and for my own kids, right? I like I always laugh with adults who are like. I never want my kids to have sex. And I'm like, really? Like, you don't like it? I kind of <laughs> like it. Right? I, like they have a right? choice. Experience. Right. Like, I, I, I kind of <clears> see <throat> my kids one day having that, that, that feeling of love for someone else and wanting to express it a certain way. But what, what I would say is, as a parent, I want my kids to be emotionally, physically, and, and um, you know, I want them to be ready for that choice. And the only way they can be ready for a choice is if they're educated on that choice. And I'm not here saying, oh, you know, we want kids who are 15 to have sex. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that as a father, I want my, my children to be ready. And I don't know how to let them be ready if I don't talk to them, if I don't prepare them. And it's like, better you yeah, than someone else, <laughs> okay. right? Because you you know somebody else is definitely going to have the conversation eventually. So it's the matter of time of whether you want to be first to have the That's conversation. Right. You know what? Yeah. They they got as much porn as they can stand on their phone. So you know, seriously. I yeah, mean, I right? think uh, Billie Eilish, um, the pop singer, or you know, yeah. one of the yeah, she. I think I heard a little, she was on, either on a podcast, but it was just an audio clip of her saying that she was introduced to porn at like 12, 12 years old and it basically ruined her brain to a certain degree. That's know. right. Yeah. And, and, and it can. Um, and so, 
so my feeling on these matters is I'm, I'm not advocating that people go out and buy Bitcoin. I am advocating that Bitcoin is part of our environment right now and you need to make a choice. And the only way to make a choice is to be educated. And our world is more complex than for, for our kids than what we inherited. I didn't have Bitcoin when I was growing up. I mean, give me a break, right? Yeah. Now we have Bitcoin. You got to deal with this. Yeah. Um, similarly, you know, when I was growing up, Warren was getting some dad's Playboy magazine and being all excited. Now yeah. it's way different. Because <laughs> we didn't get cell phones until college, at least for me. Yeah. Bingo. <laughs> and, and, you know, I remember um, one time, a true story, we, we found one of my sons surfing porn, like just on his phone. And, and it, we, we actually saw what he was watching. And, and we just said, hey, you know, we're not here to tell you not to watch that, right? But we also want you to know that what you were watching was by people who were paid to do pretty advanced things that <laughs> you know it's a form of entertainment yeah, yeah. and it wasn't a reflection yeah. of love and that's what billy eilish was explaining destroyed her mindset of the the picture that she supposedly or she just that was her first i guess example of a relationship maybe or intimate relationship or not, caring which is yeah. in a sense but it's not but they're, it's they're not, actors yeah. who are being paid that's not love yeah. it's even yeah and it's just not yeah. that with with my son about uh, you know Sorry. you know and then the question is you know do you do that mom and dad and like that's not what's relevant that that's not what's important what your choices are with the person you love is private but you need to know that what you're watching is not that right right it's definitely not the definition of love or even your everyday communication with a person or you know it's it's porn it's exactly basically what that is you know right and so your question i know we kind of detoured from it but i think it's the same kind of answer right you know what should we do about cryptocurrency and these really complex things that our kids are being faced with and robin hood and meme stocks and things that we've never had to deal with and i always go back to i don't know another way than to educate our kids yeah. and talk to them as I'm not saying you treat a, a, a you know a third grader like a 12th grader I am saying that you have conversations with kids at, at an age appropriate level that that values who they are and we we're dealing with a different generation as well even my nephew he's 18 and he's already into cryptocurrency but his my my sister she didn't know about cryptocurrency she's still not as educated as he is about it and he has an older the nephew same you know family has an older brother that's not into cryptocurrency so it's random you know but at least he's educated but the kids on it now. no more than we do because guess what yeah seth curry is selling every three point as an nft and mm -hmm. there there's a there's a football player who took half the salary in bitcoin yeah and you know what i mean even mayors like and, and politicians are even taking their salaries in in cryptocurrency that's right oh and secretly you may not know this but guess what china owns the most bitcoin in the world and the u.s government owns the second most bitcoin in the world so that huh like hmm, <laughs> that. Wow. hmm. things that thank make you, you go hmm right that's thank you so funny because on one end the government is like this is dangerous and it needs to be regulated, but then the they own, like, right? They got a hand in it. And <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's just the things that make you go, hmm. Yeah. But on the topic of cryptocurrency, uh, I feel like Bitcoin just kind of takes dominance over the conversation. Um, I wanted to ask you personally, like, are there any other cryptocurrency projects that you're excited about? other than Bitcoin. And this is not financial advice for our listeners. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, that was for I, you too. You're, yeah. you're, right, you're right on the edge of happiness for me because I am a geek. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, I mean, I'm a geek geek, right? Uh, which it, I'll, I'll, you can steal this favorite, my favorite joke. Gypsy, do you know how, how to tell an extroverted geek? He looks at your shoes when he's talking to you. <laughs> so, so um, let, let's take a step back. The, the technology that underpins all cryptocurrencies is called the blockchain. And the blockchain is a public distributed ledger designed in such a way that it, it uh, cannot be corrupted in any reasonable way. Like there's theoretical ways to uh, crack a blockchain, but practically it's impossible. Now, one manifestation of the blockchain is cryptocurrencies like a Bitcoin or an Ethereum, which represent a form of unique scarcity. So the, we all know the, the, the example is that Bitcoin or Ethereum or other currencies are kind of like gold. Um, there, there's, a, there, there's a limited amount and, and the limited amount creates value in humans, right? Anything that's limited creates value. Uh, diamonds were super valuable. Now, eh, not so much. We can just go you know, make some. So gold, we haven't figured out how to make. Diamonds, we figured out how to make. So now the question becomes, what what were some of the intended or unintended consequences of 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 things like bitcoin well bitcoin does have an undesirable energy footprint because it has a certain structure called proof of work ethereum and other structures have less energy required and they use a different mechanism of of computation called proof of stake okay great so in that world, and what we want to do, and, and I'll kind of disclose some of where we're headed, we want to support kids understanding and learning about crypto and NFTs, but we can't do that in the current structures because it's too expensive. Like to do things in the crypto world, you have to pay a fee, yeah. and that fee is called gas. Yeah. And gas fees are super expensive. So I'm... Uh, I'm encouraged that there are a lot of really smart people innovating around how to make uh, uh, cryptocurrencies and smart contracts cost effective. And so there's a couple of projects that I've been looking at. Uh, most notably Solano is a, a project that I think has some promise. Um, I've, I'm, I'm a little, concerned about the evolution of Solano. I don't know if it's going to end up in the same place where the gas fees get high. Um, and it's not clear that that you can design yet a blockchain with kind of a constant cost of a of a of a transaction. Yeah. But I, I'm encouraged by Solano. That's the one that I've been looking at the most right now. Yeah, that's one of the ones I've looked into as well. Um, it feels like it has a future. Where do you see cryptocurrency about five to 10 years from now? Or even just, for us, we've been in LA for four years now. And we just witnessed, like I said, like everybody else, crypto.com arena. We've seen Staples Center go from Staples Center to crypto.com arena. So we're seeing change quite fast. Where do you see things? Yeah. I'll give you a couple of my, uh, you know, predictions are always fun. Sometimes they're right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're going to see uh, Bitcoin, by definition, will become more valuable. It may not ever reach its high, but it will maintain its value because of its mathematical construction. Um, you're going to see people create what are called in the cryptocurrency world on-ramps and off-ramps. So on-ramp is how do you go from like US dollar into cryptocurrency, that's an on-ramp. And then the off-ramp is how do you go from the cryptocurrency to a normal dollar? Like I wanna go, you know, I wanna go to, um, let, me, let me fix this for a second. I wanna, I wanna go to Safeway and, you know, <laughs> pick up some hamburger. Uh, I kind of can't do that with Bitcoin right now. So 
what you're going to see, I think, is more flexible payments and infrastructure. Visa and MasterCard are going to have to figure out how to open up their networks into Bitcoin. They, they, we can't have different transactional systems in the world because it won't. Pe normal people like us are going to say, look, I do have some Bitcoin and I want to be able to spend it at Safeway or, or at, at, at Gap. So I, I, within five to 10 years, you're going to see a very seamless infrastructure. The, the, the massive players in that transaction processing space, there's really four massive companies, right? Visa, MasterCard, American Express, Discover, they're all huge. They're going to figure this out. They're going to have a mechanism of how we interact. You're going to see the government come in and require people like Coinbase and other crypto.com, they're going to want their tax revenue. So they're going to find a way to put some hooks in there. I don't know how that's going to work out, to be honest. Isn't because, it already like that? Are they? Well, it's supposed to be. <laughs> and you're supposed to, and, and you know, waitresses are supposed to report their tips. Huh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's going to be a little bit of that going on. Um, I guess one thing. So what I'm gonna what I'm gonna what I'm gonna make a prediction on is you're gonna see a rise and a fall of of individual cryptocurrencies. I mean, the technology is at yeah. the point where any city in the world could issue their own cryptocurrency, and many of them are, and many of them will. Any store, any anything can issue their own cryptocurrency. And in fact, if you look at the history of money you'll find that when banks were first created hundreds of years ago, they all issued their own money. Mm. And it was when they started in the Bank of England, right, way before America was even founded, right? The Bank of England said, no, 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 that's not going to work. We, we need a mechanism of, of promoting commerce. So what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of cryptocurrencies rise and you're going to see most of them fail because of the inability to do interoperability between the different currencies and then the last thing is we we've seen plenty of fraud already and you're going to see a lot more fraud you're going to see people spin up a coin get investors make a couple million and shut it down and people are seeing that already like hey what happened well you wanted to get rich and guess what happens to people who want to get rich yeah, <laughs> quick one guy just did it as a joke and he didn't want people to to put money in it but people did and it, like overnight and uh, a lot of people compare it to like the dot-com bubble you know all of these coins are gonna you know come up but then you know they'll all get phased out at some point you know they're filtered yeah out. but i think it's I, I think it's here to say um uh and I'm glad we've all qualified, you know, this isn't investing advice or whatever, but I didn't understand it myself. And so I made a commitment to understand it. So I got a Coinbase account and I, I bought some ETH and I bought some Bitcoin and I've made some NFTs and I'm selling some NFTs and, and I'm learning about this space because our kids are doing this and they're understanding it. Um, uh, I mean, I'm going to turn around. Do you have any favorite gypsy do you have any uh you know what what's your take on some of this um as far as coins uh i do a, i invest a lot into altcoins. Um, i think i've said this before i don't know why i just i feel like they have a long way to go and if i trust the project and some of them are risky but some of them i think they're solid projects in the future um like Ada is one that I, you know, been following for about three, four years now. Um, I know it doesn't it doesn't move a lot, but you know, I've seen it go from pennies to um, what it is now. Um, and I'm also seeing it being integrated in um, in where I grew up. I grew up in Ethiopia, and they're actually trying to use it uh, for infrastructure in their school. I'm not quite sure on the details about that, but that's one of the coins. Um, Solana is another one. Um, of course, 
I believe in Ethereum and Bitcoin. It's just you know they're the they're so standards. big that you know I'll yeah. put a little a little <laughs> bit in there, but you know I I like to go after you know smaller altcoins that have huge potential. Um, we got into yeah. uh, helium mining. Um, recently got a helium miner, Bobcat miner. Um, oh, nice! Working with that. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm looking at that. Do you? Do you? I'm trying to find the right spot in the room that I don't look weird. There we go. <laughs> um, um, do you? Do you? Um, I want to want to ask you about the miner. Do you use a hardware wallet? Because I have a buddy who, who decided he wanted an actual hardware wallet, and I. I'm like, nah, I'm good with what I have. No, I don't have a hardware wallet. I did get one for my niece, um, my nine-year-old niece as a birthday gift. I got her a nano ledger and I put, you know, a handful of crypto that I believe in uh, for her future <laughs> investment. And I think it's, I, but you know, what you were doing there, I think is really compelling because the data shows that if a kid has a bank account, and it has as little as $400 by the time they go to college, they're almost certainly gonna go to college and they're almost certainly gonna come out of college with, with a relatively manageable amount of debt. Because what that did was you, you showed through your support long-term thinking, yeah. right? That's a, the act of, of, of we believe you're gonna be here for a long time, we believe this is part of your future. We believe you have a future. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, those are the subtle things that we can do when we say things like, hey, Bitcoin is here. Like, like you, you, we can't not explore this with our, with our children. It's here. Yeah. It's, it ain't going to go away. <laughs> yeah. It's not going anywhere. The NFTs are none of it. It's going to, it's definitely here. You mentioned NFTs, uh, you created some. What are some platform recommendations, if you have any? Well, right now, I just went to the to the only one that I thought was, I shouldn't say only one, but I, I went, I, I did it very simply. I just went to OpenSea okay. and I posted my NFT there. Um, of course, like most of the crypto space, it's, it's garbage from a usability standpoint. Um, uh, and, and it's, I mean, it's they try hard, but it's it's not the easiest to use software. Um, so I I uh, have some. So I've written some books, and I own the art in the book. And so I'm selling some of that art um, on an open sea. I may make some money. I may make. I may not make some money. I'm getting a lot of learning in the process, and uh, I'm I'm looking at how NFTs can be part of our solution uh, for kids and, and enable them to be more successful. Um, and so for us, again, kids know what NFTs are and they're going to create them. And so the question becomes, how do you let them do that in a way that's uh, um, beneficial um, and, and helps them understand what's going on? So I know, like nfts and metaverse it's very easy for kids to understand because metaverse they've been playing games like they get it and yeah. nfts is like they get the creative process behind that but how do you teach um kids cryptocurrency and blockchain um what are they using? well i think that I'm not sure how much we have to teach kids about the blockchain itself to help them understand the the, the technical underpinnings of a, of, of a uh, cryptocurrency. So I don't know yet. I, that, that's my simple answer. We're, we've got to try some stuff out. We've got to figure things out. Um, the, 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 the blockchain, I've seen certain explanations that seem to make, make it more accessible. Um, and I've seen certain technical, like I've being a computer scientist and a geek, I've actually read the original paper on Bitcoin and I could understand it, uh, based on the mathematics, mathematics behind it, but that's way beyond what a normal kid would need to understand. And right. so I, I do think it's, it's, it's kind of, there's a way to say to the kids, just imagine that you could have a record 
of the steps that you took throughout a day. And the only part of that record that was interesting was that the you could go backward, like you knew every step you took. And you could keep that private and all a blockchain does is makes it public. Now there's a lot more to it as you know, but there's gotta be ways in which we can frame that to a, to a, to a child that would help them understand it. And I don't know if that's a very good way to do it either, by the way. I, I'm, we're still yeah, I working on that. I think it was something that's new and we're all trying to figure yeah. out, you know, they probably have to gamify it somehow or make it, you know, fun to learn but without giving too much detail and losing them in the process. Yeah. That's right. Now, now, Classic, going back to your question about, like, where do things go in the future, it is absolutely true that our current financial infrastructure is burdensome costly inefficient slow and i'm for keeping the people who are in power in power what i'm also excited about is associated with cryptocurrency and associated with the blockchain are DeFi applications and i think when we talk about NFTs right now, I think even in our conversations, we're leaning towards NFTs as maybe art or culture. I think NFTs are going to be basically everything. I mean, believe it or not, I actually, like when you go to the store and you get a receipt, that's going to become an NFT. And it's going to be the immutable record of your transaction in the store so that when you go back to the store to make your return and you're like, I don't have my receipt. Okay, well, great. Give us your you know, give us your wallet address and we'll pull up the blockchain and we saw, okay, yeah, you did purchase this. Okay. We're returning it. I think, I think every, I think when we think, when we say it's an NFT and what we, 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 we limit ourselves to thinking of NFT as a um, piece of art that is sold as a speculative investment. I think that that's vastly limiting what NFTs are going to be and what NFTs are going to be are, uh, uh, Amazon delivered a package at your house. Well, there's an NFT, right? Uh, you you have a receipt, a medical record of of uh, 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 your your COVID at home blood test is going to be an NFT. You know, there's going to be so many things that become NFTs, precisely because our society will find value in having a physical record that is supposed to be unique replaced by a digital record that actually is unique and transparent even the utilities though, yeah and that's not even speaking of i guess the utilities for the yacht parties and <laughs> the different things well, that come along with it <laughs> that's just you know what's going to attract yeah. the attention but right. i've heard even in, they're going to use it in supply chain and all of these ways that i didn't even think about you know oh yeah yeah um I'll give you an example of something that I'm, I, I worked on years ago. It's called custody transfer. So let's say you're an oil refinery and you got an oil tanker. And these are really big volumes, right? I'm going to put 100,000 barrels of oil in the tanker. And that's a lot of, mo that's a lot of money, right? So custody transfer is basically the refinery turns on the pump and pumps in a hundred thousand and according to the refinery i i put a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand barrels of oil in that tanker well what happened to that oil the the transfer is the tanker says and i got a hundred thousand barrels we're good that transaction is the kind of transaction that should be done on a blockchain because when the tanker now arrives at the port in whatever they're going to deliver and they suddenly deliver 80,000 barrels of oil, you start to look at, okay, what happened in the supply chain? What happened to that asset? Where, you know, what's going on? And so there, there are various mechanisms where blockchains and, and, and NFTs represent the transactions in business in a more transparent way that actually makes things like moving goods between borders, moving goods between cities and towns, uh, a, a more efficient and more fair and more safe process. 
Well, before we get ready to close things out, um, is there anything you would like to share um, with the listeners about upcoming projects and links to find your information? Uh, I would say that the first thing I did when I tried to create this company is I tried to pick a normal name. Like I know there's a lot of tech companies with weird names, right? So First Root is the name of our company. We're really easy to find. In terms of I, I have I have a happy story to share this week. We're working with a school in, in Madison, Wisconsin, a middle school. And all of Madison, Wisconsin is a, a Title I school, right? Uh, it, it's, 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 it, they all have economic challenges there. But this school was able to use some of the CARES Act funding dollars to fund the participatory budgeting program in their school. And we have a new record in our platform of how much money the school gave the kids. The school is going to give the kids $30,000. Imagine the effect that has on that middle school, those, those sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, the, the trust in, in from that the adults and the administration are saying, look, we, we, we believe that you can use and make good sense of $30,000 and spend that amount of money. I mean, that's incredible. And I, and I think that what I hope that everyone who's listening to this hears is, is a couple of simple things. We teach kids how to manage money by giving them money to manage. And the data shows that when you trust the kids, they really do make good choices. Have a little faith. That's interesting. <laughs> it's new. Yeah, definitely new for our generation because it wasn't something that necessarily was there. So it's definitely yeah, a wonderful, my generation a wonderful too, project. <laughs> yes. For our listeners, we'd like to thank everybody for listening. Um, Luke, it's been a great conversation, very informative, and I've learned a lot. Yeah. Um, and uh, for the podcast, you can find us um, at americangypsy.com. And uh, we have merch at luamli.com. And, and Luke, if you're ever in L.A., definitely come by and, you know, we can have an in-house studio conversation as well. I would love that. I, I miss traveling and I am hopeful that we can continue to navigate our path forward out of the pandemic so that we can actually be together again. Uh, I, I, I'm, I definitely miss being with people. Well, we're in downtown LA. So when you're in the area, definitely, you know, reach out to us. Thank you to everybody that was listening. Um, also, if you'd like to check out some music, I have music under Classic Carpenter, K-L-A-C-C-I-K, and that's C-A-R-P-E-N-T-A. That's on Spotify, iTunes, Tidal, all major platforms, YouTube, etc and all of the information that we all put out everything will be in the description so you don't have to worry about remembering it and consistent self-improvement to everyone and good night peace peace